Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to this sermon podcast. Hope that you've had a good week. It's a beautiful day here in Chicago as lots of uh, folks are running in the Chicago Marathon and it kind of can't help but be inspired by that. So hopefully that inspiration will rub off a little bit as I uh, share some of these thoughts with you. We are into our second week uh, in a sermon series called Called In, Called Out, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But first, let me reflect on or read this passage from the book of Revelation. This is from Revelation 5, verses 1 through 14. Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with loud full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, singing, To the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So I noted a minute ago that today is the day of the Chicago Marathon. And so, of course, whenever I watch or think about a marathon, I think about the few that I have run in my own life. And I ran Chicago twice. And the second time I ran it with a friend of mine uh, named Jeff. And I really wanted to run with Jeff. Um, Long story short, we were not able to get into the same corrals. Uh, If you know anything about marathons, especially large marathons, you are assigned different corrals, and we couldn't get into the same corral, which was going to make it a little more challenging to run together. It turned out, though, one of Jeff's friends, who was going to also run the marathon, got injured and so was not going to run it. And so we worked it out so that I had my bib or the piece of paper that has my number on it. But every runner um, wears a chip on their shoe often, or sometimes it's on the bib itself too. 
so that it can automatically time you. So we worked out this thing. So whenever you go into one of these corrals, they have people watching to make sure people don't get into a corral that they're not supposed to be in. So I wore Jeff's friend's bib because Jeff's friend was supposed to be in the same corral as him, but I wore my own chip. So the timers would be um, timing me, Chris Kuhn, but when I walked into the corral, as far as the people who were checking those numbers, they thought I was somebody else. Quite a little switcheroo that we did there, but uh, I'm glad we did it. We had a good uh, race together and a nice memory. I thought about that this week, too, as I was reflecting on this passage and this sermon today, because often this story of this marathon switch uh, is not unlike times that we live our own lives, where we convey one sort of persona, uh, like having a different bib number that really doesn't identify who we are, and yet deep down, there is the truth of who we truly are, like the chip. We put up a different persona not ourselves. That's one of the temptations of being human. Our society makes it more challenging because there's pressure to always show ourselves to be somebody that we're not, to be more strong than we are, to be in charge, to be powerful. And yet for those who follow Jesus, our blueprint for living, the persona we are called to convey, is different than what society tries to put on us. So this sermon series that I mentioned earlier that we've called Called In, Called Out is a sermon series where we're talking about our desire to be what we call a church without walls, that is, an anti-racist church. And over this past year, uh, more than a year, we have been going through this audit uh, that a nonprofit organization calls Crossroads that works with other nonprofits and talking about race and anti-racism and looking at structures and systems and programs of institutions. And so we have been going through that this past year. And so we are going to um, share the results of that audit in a couple of weeks. And in preparation for that, we thought it would be helpful for us to reflect one again about what does it mean to be an anti-racist church. And we're looking through this in the book of Revelation. And I'll also bring in what it means to convey a persona of ourselves that perhaps isn't truly us. So last week we talked about Revelation, or it was the first week in talking about Revelation. I mentioned it sometimes is perhaps seen as the monster book of monsters. For those fans of Harry Potter, it was an assignment that Harry and his friends had, and it was such a intimidating book that the book would literally try to bite hands that would try to open it. And sometimes I think the book of Revelation is a little bit like that. So just a quick review, Revelation is assigned to an ancient literary genre called apocalypse. An apocalypse is usually a first-person narrative where the author talks about visions that they have about the future or a heavenly world or both. And as we go through Revelation over these next, today and over the next two weeks, we'll be introduced to a lot of symbolic language, symbols, again, not to be taken literally. Some people will look at Revelation and try to take it literally, but really, I don't think that's, and most scholars believe, I think, really, it's not what the author was trying to convey. The author is a man named John. We read about him in Revelation chapter 1, who's writing from an island called Patmos, which was used by the Roman Empire for political prisoners. So this is where John is writing from, and he's conveying these visions that he had. So last week, we looked at chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation. These were messages that John gave to different churches uh, in, at the time, Asia Minor. Today, we know it as Turkey. 
Today we want to look at chapter 5, but also a little bit on chapter 4. This is beginning of John's vision of heaven. I mentioned earlier this is often a, an apocalyptic um, style or a, a way of, of showing what this kind of literature is by talking about what heaven is and what a vision of heaven is. So this is John's vision of God on a throne and the Lamb of God, who is, of course, Jesus the beginning of our text today, there's mention of a scroll. The scroll is the book that contains the eternal decrees of God. And the fact that there are seven seals indicates that its contents are completely hidden so that no one on earth or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. This is what we read in Revelation 5. And it looks like no one is going to be worthy to open the scroll This brings John to tears, but it turns out there is one who can open this scroll. Verse 5 says, See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So I want you to imagine this vision that John has of see in your mind this scroll. Maybe there's a soundtrack that's playing underneath this big a song I was thinking of, if you know the song Roar by Katy Perry. Uh, and so maybe that, as is, is you envision it, as you imagine it, and the verse 5 says, the lion of the tribe of Judah is coming. Katy Perry is singing, I've got the eye of the tiger, a fighter, dancing through the fighter. I am a champion. You're going to hear me roar louder, louder than a lion. And so John is looking for the lion. For this lion to roar, to open the seals. But what does John see instead? A lamb. And at first, when people perhaps hear this vision, or for John, as he's feeling and sensing this vision, there's a question of what the heck is going on here. They're expecting a lion. They're expecting roar. And instead, they get a lamb. Now, this lamb, this slain Lamb may seem like a symbol of weakness, but John has made it into a symbol of how weakness and suffering can instead be transformed into power. This lamb is not passive. This lamb is not powerless. Instead, what we read in our text today, it's described as having power and strength and might. Again, the symbols in this passage says that this little lamb has seven horns not only has power, but the number seven indicates that its power is full and complete. The number seven in Revelation symbolizes perfection, wholeness, like seven days in a week, for example. So now what does all of this have to do about with our conversations on race? Well, let's talk about political conversations that we may have in general. Whenever we engage in these kind of conversations, I don't know about you, but often when I talk to someone who I may disagree with, there's that urge within me that wants to win the conversation, that wants to change the mind of the other person. And we want to read and have a sense, a better argument. And so we want to be strong, right? We want to be like a lion. We want to be right, no vulnerability, no cracks in our armor. We want to be able to present a united front, strength, so that we can win the day, win the argument. And yet, the symbol in this text, the true symbol of strength, 
is a vulnerable, slain lamb. Is God trying to tell us something about how to live our lives, how to have our conversations? Instead of saying, I want to roar like a lion, do we dare say we want to baa like a lamb? So the basis for a lot of what we'll be engaging in with the results of this audit that we've been going through certainly will be having conversations with one another. And our hope is that when we have these conversations, that we come into these not like lions, trying to win arguments, trying to convey a sense of who we are that really truly isn't who we are, but instead to come into these like lambs, vulnerable and yet strong. At Urban Village, we want to create spaces that make it easier to be vulnerable, that make it easier to confess sin, that make it easier to point out hurts, to be our true selves, vulnerable yet strong, like the lamb in this vision. One of the things that we'll be doing is engaging what we call in anti-racism training caucuses, where uh, at times we separate into different groups where people of color have are in one group to begin to reflect and to share and to ask questions. And then white people also get into a separate room too. And at first I think there is a sense of discomfort with that. And yet I think it's also important for us to begin to create a, a safe space, especially people if they don't want to ask questions or say things because they're nervous about how they might be perceived because they want to have this sense, this feeling like I've got to be strong. I've got to roar like a lion. On Sunday, I'm going to, or today I should say, I'm going to uh, ask some folks from our church to come up and talk about what does it mean to have space where you can be truly vulnerable. I'm going to ask uh, two people who are African-American to come into uh, up, come up front with me and begin having this conversation. And I'm going to specifically ask them about what does it mean to have conversations in a particular context. I came across a book uh, a couple weeks ago called Cutting Along the Color Line. And it's by, I need to look back real quick at the book, at the author, so excuse me. The name of the book is uh, Cutting Along the Color Line by Quincy T. Mills. Uh, and he does this. In the book, he says that, uh, that black-owned barbershops play a central role in African-American life. The intimacy of commercial grooming encourages both confidentiality and camaraderie, which make the barbershop an important gathering place for African men to talk freely. It's a really interesting component, I think, for in the African-American community. And I'm going to ask Wante and Julie to come up to talk about that space in barbershops and in beauty parlors, too. What is it about that space that allows them to be vulnerable and to be able to share and to talk, to be themselves, to not try to put on a front that makes you seem to be somebody that you're not? And so I'm going to ask them a couple questions about that. But I think it's a really interesting dynamic for us to think about having that space. Do you have a space where you are? Do you have a space where you can truly be yourself? Maybe it's with someone that you that you trust and you know you can ask the dumb questions, that you can say something that might seem insensitive, but you, again, want to to be able to, to, to speak and to express that kind of gentleness and vulnerability like a lamb. So as we think about this, then perhaps we need models. 
we need to look around in our midst. Who are the lambs in our midst that we can look to? Again, when we think about leaders, for example, in our society, we assume it's going to be somebody who is a great speaker or conveys great strength, has no weakness. And yet again, if we read this passage, we see that vulnerability is the key to true leadership, to true power that's being conveyed in this passage. I was, for me this week, a model was a young boy named Jaquiel Jackson. There was an article in the Chicago Tribune about Jaquiel. Jaquiel just recently won a prize, the Gloria Barron Prize for Young Heroes. Jaquiel is 10 years old. And as the story was, as I was reading the story, it talks about Jaquiel when he was five, his great aunt took him to Lower Wacker Drive. For folks in Chicago, you, you know that Lower Wacker Drive is often a place where homeless folks uh, go to sleep and even build community with one another. And so Jaquiel's great aunt took him there to hand out chili and soup to the people who were living there. He was five at the time. Jaquiel's mom said that that sparked something in him. And his mom said he would literally tear up when he would see someone who was homeless trying to understand how that person got into that situation. You know, when you walk around the loop in Chicago, and I'm confessing this too, it is so easy to get numb to seeing folks with signs in front of themselves asking for money. And to reflect this week for me about this, at the time, five-year-old boy who was brought to tears by seeing men and women in this situation, in this circumstance, and so that sparked something in Jaquila. And at first he kept telling his mom and dad to give money to folks who are experiencing homelessness. And to find his parents said, we can't keep giving them money all the time. We need to find a different way. And so that's how Blessing Bags came into being. And so he started his own nonprofit where he asks individuals to make Blessing Bags. These are big like Ziploc bags with little things in them. Uh, that help folks like toothpaste and toothbrushes uh, and soap uh, and handy wipes and all of these things in these blessing bags. And he gives them out. His goal this year is to make 5,000 bags for folks as he's going around into the communities. And Shaquille has gotten a lot of attention. He's now a youth ambassador for a nonprofit called Heartland Alliance here in Chicago, an organization that works to alleviate poverty. Uh, and in the article, Jaquiel said that when I speak to other kids at schools at community centers, he says, don't wait until you're an adult to be great. You can be great now. Jaquiel is a lamb. And I say that not because he's young. I say that because he conveys a sense of vulnerability. Now, of course, a five-year-old is going to be more likely to perhaps cry at something than, say, a 45-year-old person. But maybe we should listen. When Jesus says, let the children come to me, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Children who are vulnerable, children who are more easily brought to tears than adults are when we put up a front, when we want to tell the world that we've got it all together, when we want to win arguments, when we want the world to think that we know everything, that we don't have any vulnerability whatsoever because we're afraid of how others will look at us. But the message from Revelation is that the true strength is in a lamb. 
a lamb that looks as if it was slaughtered, a lamb that has been through so much. And yet, as we read in the text, this lamb is still standing because of its strength. In your own life, when you are being nudged to have hard conversations, perhaps rather than thinking I need to roar like a lion, you need to say, how can I be vulnerable here and express that I don't know everything, that I have made mistakes in my life, that I want to be open to listening to others in the hopes that they are also receiving my own vulnerability. When we have these conversations in the next weeks and months and even years at Urban Village, I hope that we can look at Jekyll. I hope that we can remember this passage revelation to create these safe spaces where we can be who we are, all the faults and foibles of who we are made to be, as well as the strengths that we are able to still stand. Friends, do not try to sneak into a space with a persona that is false. There is one who knows the true you. God knows the true you. May we have the strength and the courage to let others know our vulnerable, our strong selves, as we have these good, courageous conversations too. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening once again to this podcast. Uh, I am off next week. Uh, Our church planting fellow at my site will be preaching, and so we will put that up on the podcast. So I'll be back in two weeks. Until then, you can also uh, go to my own webpage, christiancoon.com, and listen to some of my other podcasts, the Failing Boldly podcast. You can reach out to me there. At the website, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Christian Kuhn, email chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. I'm always happy to reflect and uh, share and to listen to folks uh, who reach out. So until the next time we're together, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.